Welcome to Solutions for a Simpler Life. This is Glenda Lehman Irvin with Lehman's on the Square in Kidron, Ohio. We're glad you've joined us. Hello and welcome to this edition for Simple Solutions from Layman's. Today we are thrilled to have Melissa K. Norris with us. She is a prolific author and content producer and very popular on the speaking circuit. Melissa, will you tell your listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got started on your homesteading journey? Yeah, well thanks for having me, Glenda. Um, I got started homesteading well, it sounds kind of funny. I grew up very rurally and in the country. And so we were doing homesteading before I actually knew that as a definition. We just were simply living pretty close to the land. I didn't realize when I was growing up that a lot of the reasons that we raised our own food, you know, my mom cooked from scratch, uh, sewed my clothes, that type of thing was because we actually just didn't have money to buy it from the store in a lot of instances. But my parents did, you know, such a good job of raising our own food and providing for us in that manner that at the time I thought it was a decision to not buy things from the store. I didn't realize it was actually a financial issue until I got to be, you know, much older and and later in life. So I really just grew up as as, as country folk, I guess you would say, you know, we raised our own food. Uh, my dad had cattle, so we raised our own um, cattle for beef. And we did it all organically, mainly because we couldn't afford to buy any type of sprays. I mean, looking back now, hallelujah, but we just simply couldn't afford to buy that. We couldn't afford to buy the grain. So we only did grass-fed, uh, grass-finished beef. It, we were that way. I, I joke and say, well, we were that before it was cool, but it was mm-hmm. really because of necessity. Um, so I came to homesteading very uh, naturally because I was raised that way in a lot of instances. But as a young adult um, and a newlywed, when I got married, I started working as a pharmacy tech. So I was commuting 36 miles to work one way and easily fell into kind of the convenience food trap. Now, we still lived extremely rurally. So even to this day, we don't have... um, Oh gosh, like uh, DoorDash or those things where you can have food delivered to your mm-hmm. home. We don't have, you know, the closest McDonald's is almost an hour away from us. But I would buy things that were prepackaged that I could kind of assemble together and then throw in the oven, but I wasn't really cooking from scratch. And my health really started to suffer about 14 years ago now. I ended up having my upper stomach and esophagus biopsied for cancer, and thankfully it came back benign, but I had a great deal of erosion, and I had the beginning of cellular change, which is usually a precursor to cancer is when you see the cells start to change and mutate. So the specialist, thankfully, that I had at the time told me, you have to figure out a way to control the stomach acid. I had really bad GERD and stomach ulcers at the time without medications, because the medicine you've been on, you've been on it too long at too high of doses, and it's not doing it anyways. Like they're not, they're not working, which is why you're here in my office. And we did an endoscope and the biopsy. So I remember driving home because his office, of course, was far away from home and looking at this big, thick stack of papers. And it was a deciding, very defining moment because I knew I could figure it out and put in the work and the effort to do all that I could, or I likely would not be there 
when my kids were old enough to get married and to walk down the aisle and, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So I looked at just deep dive into what it was I was cooking with, what I was eating and cut out a ton of stuff. I really just like cold turkey started cutting stuff out, but it really made me realize that even though I thought I was cooking and I was to a degree, you know, I was using a lot of hydrogenated oil. So regular vegetable oil, uh, you know, Crisco shortening. Um, I wasn't using things that were grown really organically aside from our own beef, because that was something that we were raising our own. And we had the garden and I had always canned, but I was had a lot of ingredients that were still processed from the store that were genetically modified, you know, GMO, um, high fructose corn syrup, food dye, you know, all of those kind of things that we, I think most people know it's not really that good for them, but sometimes you just don't really think that much about what you're consuming until it really does start to affect your health. So for me, I cut out everything that was a genetically modified crop, anything that had food dye in it, um, anything that was I didn't know how to pronounce and I didn't know what it was. So if it was on in the ingredient label and I didn't know what it was or how to pronounce it, et cetera, I cut it all out. So as you can imagine, I really didn't have a whole lot left in the cupboard by the time I was done mm -hmm. doing this. And so I started replacing it with more natural items or items that I felt more confident that had better health um, things to them. So for example, you know, grass-fed butter was, is a fat source that we use, um, coconut oil, um, avocado oil. So you won't find any of the other pre-mentioned oils. You know, those were things. In, and within six months, I was able to get off all of the medications and the doses and what I was on, you actually had to do a titrate. I had to taper down off of them in order not to um, put my body into a hyperdrive state as far as stomach acid production went. And I was able to get completely off the medications. It's now been almost 14 years. I've never had to go back on them and I experienced complete healing from that. So that was really the catalyst where I took what we were doing and we just multiplied that to where we are today as far as with our homesteading and our food production. So we now raise all of our own grass-fed, grass-finished beef. We do all of our own pasture-raised chicken. We do our own pork. We've got our egg layers. And with our fruits and vegetables, we raise about 65 to 70% of all of the fruits and vegetables that for a family of four that we consume throughout the whole year. So of course, I'm still buying things from the store. You know, I, we don't do our own grain production, um, you know, so rice and, and different flour types, et cetera, I'm still purchasing. Um, but for me, it was the proof was in the pudding. I saw how drastically my health changed for the better. And so we really dove into homesteading hardcore where I would say we were kind of flirting with it before then, mm -hmm. but that was the defining moment that we really went um, deep and lived the life that we're living today. Wow. What a great story. Now, initially, did you find that restrictive or was it freeing? That is interesting. Honestly, it was it was freeing because prior to that, even being on all of those medications, anything that I ate would cause heartburn to the degree like it actually was so bad. Well, and now I know why because after they did the biopsy, I actually had such bad erosion that it it would hurt. It wasn't just like the burning that you would feel. Like if you've eaten something spicy, you know, sometimes you'll feel heartburn. You would have that burning sensation, but it actually would cause like chest pains. And 
so I felt like no matter what I ate at that point, because my system was so inflamed and so bad, I mean, I could try to eat two bites of a banana or it, anything that I ate. It really didn't matter what it was. I would have heartburn after eating. And so once I started cutting really all of that out, honestly, in about two weeks, I started to notice improvement. I mean, it was pretty fast. And for me, that had been the first time in a couple of years that I actually could eat things and not have immediate pain afterwards. And so I actually found that very freeing. It was very encouraging because my quality of life was being, you know, lifted so, so fast. So I didn't find it restrictive so much in the, in the beginning. I just found it healing. Uh, we hear from a lot of our customers who are sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And a lot of it is what we eat because that's the fuel that makes our bodies go, which is exactly what you're you're talking about. Um, now, do you would you have considered yourself growing up a, a homesteader or like you said, it was of the what did they say? Um, invention is the mother of or necessity is the mother of invention. Right. You just realized that you were living that way. When did you really come to terms with the fact or, or decide I am a homesteader and I want to communicate this to like-minded people. Yeah. Well, it really was, yes, we always were living the homestead lifestyle. It's just people didn't use that terminology, at least in, in, in our geographical area. You know, we were just, we were country people who raised, had a garden and my mom canned and cooked and sewed and, you know, all those types of things. So we were um, pretty self-sufficient from a homesteading standpoint, but I think I really embraced it and would say started really becoming homesteaders right about the time that um, I was making those changes because that was in 2000. Oh gosh, I have to do math now. What was that in? 2009? Yeah, 2009. And so up to that point, we had been raising a vegetable garden and I canned some green beans and I did can like jam and that type of thing. But it wasn't where it was really our family's sole food source. And so I started that shift change when I started looking at producing as much as we could on our own and enough that would take us through a whole year really came in about that 2009, 2010 point. And that's also when I started looking more online and doing research and finding people who were doing what we were doing and learning more. And that we're using the term homesteading. And so as I started, you know, reading more about that and seeing it, I'm like, oh, well, that's what we've been doing. I just didn't know that that was the terminology for it. Um, so I started sharing in 2011, I actually started my blog and my website. And at that time, I thought I was going to be a historical fiction author. I had always loved books. I grew up on Little House in the Prairie books. I didn't even realize there was a TV series. I, we'd read through all the books when I was a little girl um, until later. And I always knew that I wanted to be an author or something to do with words. I loved story. I loved reading. And I thought that was going to be as a historical fiction author. And so when I was writing um, my fiction novels in order to get published, they said you needed to have a platform. And you needed to have a website and you needed to have an email list. And so I thought, well, what could I share on a website that would make people interested in fiction books that are not even published yet? Like, how do I build this platform? And I was writing during the time period of 
in the 1800s. And I thought, well, my heroine is cooking on a chuck wagon. So she's using cast iron. She's cooking from scratch on an open fire. So maybe I'll share recipes that she would have used and I'll do some Dutch oven cooking and I'll share that in blog posts. And that would be like the tie-in. So that's what I started doing is I started sharing that and people wanted more. And so I'm like, well, I'll just share what we're doing, you know, as for gardening and canning and raising chickens and, and all of those things. I'll just share that journey because people seem to want more of this. And so that's when I really started doing the content and sharing the things that we were doing because people would ask, hey, do you have a recipe or a video on, you know, X, Y, Z? And I'm like, oh, well, I can make you one. <laughs> and so it really evolved from there to where we are today, just out of people asking and, and trying to help them um, through that media communication. Did you ever complete that historical fiction novel? I did. I actually wrote several and I did get a literary agent and we shopped two of the books around and never did get a signed contract for the fiction. But what's funny is the last publishing house and editor that I sent any fiction to uh, came back and said, we aren't signing any fiction right now on this topic because we just have a bunch of books that are too similar that came out as far as time period and era wise. But would you write nonfiction for us? And I was like, oh, they're like, we've looked at your website. Like you've got three books worth of material on your website. We would love for you to write a book on nonfiction. And I said, yes. I'm like, I want to be an author and yes. And so that was my very first book, The Made From Scratch Life, that came out in 2015. And I have been writing nonfiction books ever since. You, I believe you have at least four of them. Do you have more? Yeah, I actually have, um, I have five books. So I have The Made From Scratch Life was the first book and then Handmade and then The Family Garden Plan. And then the Family Garden Planner, which is an accompaniment like day, month, year planner mm -hmm. that goes with the Family Garden Plan. And then my newest book is Everything Worth Preserving, which is a preserving book on everything, including canning, but all the ways to preserve food at home. So five total at the moment. That's right. I had heard it was kind of canning from A to Z, right? Yes. Yeah. All the ways of home food preservation, including canning, okay. A to Z. So, yeah. so pickling, fermenting, dehydrating. Do you freeze dry also? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, we cover um, water bath canning and or steam canning for our acidic foods, pressure canning, dehydrating, fermenting, freeze drying, root cellar techniques, as well as infusion and then using salt. All right. So you've got all of the, all of the techniques covered. That sounds wonderful. Um, do you have a homesteading success that you would like to share and then perhaps a, a failure? Um, for example, I talked to a homesteader that planted a bunch of fruit trees and as soon as the fruit came, the deer ate them all and he had no fruit whatsoever. So he obviously needed to do something different with his fruit trees. Do you have some kind of story like that, that kind of a nailed it, failed it? Oh yes. I have to say for me, it was actually, well, there's been many. But one of them has been tomatoes, growing tomatoes. And part of that is because we live in a very northern climate. So I'm in western Washington up in the foothills, but I'm only about an hour and a half south of the Canadian border. So we're pretty far north. And in the Pacific Northwest, typically we have very rainy, chilly summers. So tomatoes 
I tried for years to grow enough tomatoes in order to make all of our tomato products at home. So to be able to can all of our tomatoes, sauce, salsa, ketchup, you know, you name it. That was my goal. And for years, I could never get a successful tomato crop. I would either have blight because of our rain would come through. Then I tried growing them in the upside down. I remember there was like an infomercial back in the day where everything was like strawberries and tomatoes, you grow them upside down. And so I tried that. That was a miserable fail for me. And then I tried doing them in containers so that I could move them underneath the eaves of the house when it rained to try to keep the blight off of them and also keep them warmer by putting them in kind of that southern exposure area on our back deck. Well, I would only get about five tomatoes per plant. They just would not produce for me that way. So I kind of threw my hands up in the air and said, fine, I am just going to buy tomatoes from a farmer if I can find them and put them up that way. Like I am not wasting my time anymore on these stupid tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Well, that lasted for about one summer. And then my stubborn gene kicked in and I'm like, girl, you can figure out how to grow tomatoes. Like you just need to put in some more work. So I really then began to actually study tomatoes and realized they actually have a very expansive root system. And growing them in five-gallon buckets was not providing enough nutrients or moisture for those tomatoes to really flourish. So I started growing them in ground, but I needed to have some type of cover over them because of our rain. That's the only way I could keep them free from blight. So we used an old carport frame. Like you can buy from like Costco It was a metal frame that you could park like boats or a car under. And we'd had it for years and the canvas like tarp thing that went over it had rotted off. But it was a pitched frame and it was metal, all metal structure. So we got greenhouse plastic and fasteners and created it basically a high tunnel. So an unheated greenhouse. So during the summer, it would keep the rain off and it would also help keep them a little bit warmer. And we still are using that exact same one. It's the same plastic. It's going on 10 years old now. And once I switched to growing them in the ground and covering them, then we have had tomatoes ever since. So I put 18 plants in of paste tomatoes. And from those 18 plants, we get enough tomatoes for all of our salsa and tomato sauce, stewed tomatoes, et cetera, that takes us through the entire year because they are now prolific. So tomatoes was my nemesis. Yes. And you won the battle. (laughs) I won the battle. It took me some years though. (laughs) Yeah. You did mention something interesting that we try to encourage our customers to. Perhaps you don't have the wherewithal, the land, or the skill to grow absolutely everything yourself. There is no, uh, as a matter of fact, it's a great idea to go to the local farmer who's growing corn. I know corn takes a lot of space. So we talk to a lot of folks who just don't have the wherewithal to grow their own corn. So it's not that you need to be 100% self-sufficient, perhaps, but you are are shopping um, products that are are coming directly from the ground so you can get very close to your food source. That's what we encourage people to do. You know, something like a a frozen prepackaged meal, you're pretty far from the original source of that food. Um, But when you're going to the local farmer's market, I have one I go to and they pick the corn that morning. And so it's just as fresh as could be. Um, the little time we have left, tell us about your conference that you host every summer in your area. Yeah, so I am the co-founder and co-host of the Modern Homesteading Conference. So June 28th and 29th for 2024, this upcoming summer, and it is in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And we're really excited. This is our second year. Last year was the first year, but 
it is the largest on the West Coast because there really wasn't any homesteading conferences on the West Coast. East Coast had a lot of them and I was going and traveling and speaking to them, but there wasn't anything on the West Coast. So Katie, uh, my co-founder and I decided we were going to bring a homesteading conference to the West Coast. And it has just been phenomenal. We have a ton of in-person demonstrations. Last year, we had hog butchering. Joel Salatin came and did chicken butchering. Joel is coming back. We'll have in-person chicken butchering. Um, so all different kinds of demonstrations going where you can come and do hands-on learning you know, from people who have been doing this a long time. But I think aside from the knowledge part, which is phenomenal, it's creating that community. And so we have people who are coming from, we even have people actually that came from the East Coast, but predominantly the West Coast. And they were able to find, and, and we're doing that this year, we're actually going to have a meetup time where people can get together and find people who are in their community geographical closer location so that they can go deeper and do exactly like you're saying, Glenda. So for example, I'm actually going down the road today to get corn from a neighbor who is a farmer and I'm getting corn from them. We just did a small little corn patch this year. So I'm going to go get corn from them. But to be able to facilitate that and to find people, like I have a friend who has a milk cow. I don't have a dairy cow at the moment. We lost our dairy cow last winter. And so I can go and get local raw milk from her. And then I provide eggs for other neighbors. And so we really want to see people begin to grow those skill sets so that you have more people able to produce different items, but in a smaller geographical location. So like you said, you can get close to the farm and that there are people that you can find that are doing that and being able to connect them together, uh, both for commerce, commerce for both sides, but so that people have that built-in support system around them and a true local food source you know, even if it's small scale, like maybe, you know, you find you are just doing enough where maybe you could supply some extra to just a few neighbors. It doesn't have to be this large scale, but to start there and to help people form those communities and the know-how to do it so that we can see that grow more in our rural and smaller community niches. Oh yeah. That know-how is so important. One of the reasons my father founded Layman's in 1955 was he was a firm believer that not only would products become extinct, think of the Packard Auto mobile or the Browning camera, but the knowledge of how to do things. He thought you should know how to raise livestock, um, preserve food. And, and I think that a lot of his vision has come true. I mean, it's 2023 now, and some of it's generational. If your mother or father never lived off the land and their parents never did. So we're seeing, particularly in a kind of post-COVID world, a lot of younger, by that I mean maybe under 40 folks coming to us, and they really don't know where to get started. And so we love educational channels like yours because we can direct them there. We also have an extensive blog on our site, um, but we want to thank you so much for providing information to people to help them take the next step on their journey to a simpler life. Yeah, thank you. And your father was a great visionary because I definitely agree with him on all aspects there. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. And we uh, hopefully we'll see you next summer in June. Yeah, thanks, Glenda. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. This is Glenda Lehman Irvin with Layman's, where we stand for a simpler life. Thanks for listening. For more, visit laymans.com.